Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Question and Answer with Bishop Julian Porteous. And we have Jovina Graham and myself, Jeremy Ambrose. So, Bishop Julian, the question for today, I mean, you hear it out there, it seems like popular opinion that the church only ever uses its influence to impose its own views on society. What would you say about this, Bishop? This is... Um a criticism that is often leveled uh, at the church and at Catholics, and it's often something which you you see uh, particularly uh, leveled at Catholic politicians. And uh, if there is particularly a, a politician who's the head of a political party, he'll often be challenged, to, if he's a serious Catholic in particular, he'll often be challenged to say, uh, if you become prime minister, uh, are you going to impose your Catholic views on society, and uh, there, there is this view around that um, that Catholics—that's what Catholics are trying to do. They're trying to impose their morality or their particular approaches to things on the on the society. The, the way I think we need to look at this is is that the Church um, is is firstly um, focused on the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, to it, it is an instrument of salvation. It's an instrument by which People can be drawn to know Jesus Christ, to come into a life in him, benefit from the life of grace, and also receive the formation through the teaching of Christ and the church in the living of their of their personal lives. So that will always be the first and major focus of the mission and work of the church in any society. So it's not so it doesn't seek to control the society as such, and that the church does not believe at all in a theocracy of establishing a church-controlled society. However, at the same time, we live within a social environment and the social environment is is very influential, on, if you like, on our general quality of life. And society can, as individuals do, can benefit greatly from, from Catholic teaching. And and so we, we, we seek to offer to society uh, our particular perspective, our understanding, our insight into things, um, not in an effort to impose or, or require the society to adopt a, a full Catholic position on things, but we do want to say that we have something to offer the society and so we want to, to contribute to the society. In the end, the church's concern is, is for the common good. So it's for the good of society as a whole. So the church would say, is there a way that we can contribute to the common good of the society? Again, it's not, not to control or manipulate the society, but we could also say there's a way in which we can contribute to the well-being of the society. So that's the approach the church takes. So it will engage and, and should, it must engage in, in the society and, and issues that are happening, but in a spirit of service, in a spirit of making a contribution. One phrase that I like um, that I think was used perhaps first by Pope John Paul II is he spoke about the, the church as being an expert in humanity. So the church 
you know, because it's dealing with people and dealing with the issues in people's lives, really understands a lot about the human person and, and human life. And from that viewpoint, wants to say, look, we have we have something to offer to society to help the human life, the quality of human life lived within the society. So, Bishop, if this is the 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 goal of the church for the common good, wouldn't it be wouldn't the best way forward to really put forward the church's teachings into into the world? Wouldn't it be for the church to align itself or to take part in a political party and join in the political process? I think the church needs to be involved in the in the political process very much, um, but again, it, it's not to control um, the political process. So the church, for instance, would not in any way wants to align itself with a particular political party. Not wants to have form a Catholic party, if you like. Um, it would see that this would be a, a, an unhelpful and inappropriate way of engaging in the political process. It would see rather that uh, the church would want to support and help politicians uh, by offering them uh, its insight, its, its perspective on particular issues, but leave the politicians free to to operate within what whatever is the political party of their choice. So provided a party is not radically opposed to, to Christianity or the gospel, if a political party is a mainstream party, we would encourage politicians. And we would basically say to people, Catholics, be involved in whatever political party you feel is appropriate. That we, we, we wouldn't say that it should be one party as against another. So the, the church does not want to become um, party political, but does want to involve itself in the political process. Wow. So um, if this is the case, I guess... Bishop, what you're suggesting is that the church has a lot to offer the world, um, a lot to offer humanity. Perhaps then saying not just in the moral teaching, but more than that? or Yes, uh, we often uh, immediately associate uh, the church's contribution in terms of its stance on particular critical moral issues of our day. And so the church has a very clear stand with regard to being pro-life, if you like, in the face of abortion and, and also, also euthanasia. Uh, the church has a very strong position about the, the appropriateness of using condoms. Um, the, the church stands very clearly about the, the importance of the preservation of the nature of marriage uh, and so on. So the church, and it's very well known for those positions, uh, the church uh, has a clear and articulated understanding of these issues and position that adopts and, and constantly presents in, in, uh, in various ways. However, there's another side to the church's contribution that's not as well known, but is, I, I think is, is also something that can contribute, and that is the church's social teaching. So the church <clears throat> has teaching related to the, um, the, the social um, environment in which people live. This social teaching has been there right through the centuries, but it's taken on a particular focus and character in the last 100, 150 years. We often mark the beginnings of the modern expression of the Church's social teaching connected with the writings of Pope Benedict the, uh, the, the, uh, the 13th and his encyclicals regarding um, issues 
of work and employment and, and justice in the workplace and, and, and so on. And that has continued through right through to statements that now include things like ecology and, and so on. So there's a, there's a growing body of um, church teaching related to the, um, the social environment that, uh, that does offer insight and uh, perspectives, particularly regarding human dignity, um, it talks about has a principle called subsidiarity um, that doesn't favour the, the 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 collection of power all at the centre at the top. Um, so there are a number of um, insights from the social teaching that I think can also serve modern society, and particularly as we seek to find our way as um, as modern um, liberal democratic systems. Um, the church can make a contribution in this area as well. So just a final word, Bishop. And every time that a prominent church figure speaks out when there's a, a vote on a crucial political issue, for example, when embryonic stem cells are being voted on in federal parliament, and, you know, quite a few bishops and cardinals and prominent priests made comments about what Catholics in political situations should do according to their conscience or how they should vote, there's, whenever that happens, there seems to be this this just division of church and state kind of outcry in the media. Hmm. Is that a is that a crossing a line between church and state? It's it's not because we, we 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 are what we will do is we will present the moral teaching of the church. So we will say this is what the church believes. Uh, now on on critical issues, uh, say the issue of abortion, where the, the church is absolutely steadfast. In, in its position on on, uh, on abortion, the church would expect a politician to, uh, as as a Catholic, to stand by that teaching and to vote accordingly. Um, and this is where people do uh, get uh, pretty worked up about feeling that the church is interfering in the in the political process. But we are, we're wanting we're doing it for the good of the society, not not just to. Uh, impose ourselves because we believe there are very deep moral issues related to this, and and the church has to say to politicians that um, that these are serious moral issues that uh, that need to and the church's position on this needs to influence the way you vote. Now that's something that uh, I know enemies of the church would would very much be up in arms about, but. Um, the church needs to put forward its position clearly and equivocally and really in the case where uh, politicians are voting to offer them clear guidance as to how they should how they should vote in terms of uh, the moral teaching of the church it is controversial but the church does need to quite clearly and strongly uh, present its views well let's hope that the world can have that openness to see the beauty of what the church has to offer to society and to the whole world. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you.
we've been talking about prayers in, in recent times. I'd like to talk today about one prayer that we are very familiar with and really is part of our, our Catholic heritage and, and our Catholic devotion, that is the rosary. Uh, the question I'd like to pose to you is, why and until recently, um, by after an intervention of uh, Pope John Paul II, but why has the rosary traditionally had 150 beads, if you like, as well as the the um, the Our Father beads in the in between. But but why? What's is there any significance to the hundred and fifty Hail Marys that we pray in a full rosary? You know, Bishop, I studied up on the rosary before this, but that is not a, something I actually have figured out. Tell me, please. There, there is a link, actually. Um, the number one hundred and fifty is um, is is quite deliberate because. Uh, the rosary has sometimes been called in the past Mary's Psalter. In other words, the Psalms of Our Lady. And this goes back to medieval times. In medieval times, the monks would pray the divine office and they'd pray the Psalms. And in medieval times, the monks used to pray the 150 Psalms in the course of one week. So in the course of a week, through the various times of the divine office, they'd work through the whole 150 Psalms. And the, of course, the, the ordinary people would um, hear the monks chanting the psalms, would uh, would would know a little bit about what they were doing, not much, but would because it was in Latin and, and and so on. But they they knew that the prayer of the monks, if you like, the the way you pray is by by praying uh, vocally and and in, in the case of the monks, praying the psalms. So the, the lay people who were not educated enough to read the Psalms and to, to use them uh, were, were attracted by the idea, is there a similar sort of way in which we could pray um, to imitate the monks, if you like, to do something similar to what the monks uh, are doing? And, and of course, there were, there were 150 Psalms. And so sometimes the person would, uh, would maybe go to a monk and say, you know, monk, I'd like to pray. How can I pray like you pray? Because I love to hear you singing. And so what could I do? And the monk would think for a while and say, well, firstly, they said, you know the Our Father, don't you? And they say, yes. And they said, all right, well, look, we, we pray 150 psalms in the course of a week. Why don't you try and pray 150 Our Fathers? So originally, it was just a, something that people did. They would say, we will, in imitation of the monks, we will pray 150 Our Fathers. Later on, as the Hail Mary became more popular and Marian devotion grew, people were attracted also to the idea of praying the Hail Mary in preference to praying the Our Father. And so they started praying 150 Hail Marys. And then in time, they say, well, how can we keep track of 150? <clears throat> so let's break it into nice, neat units of 10. And then they say, well, we used to say the Our Father, didn't we, before? So maybe why don't we break the 10 Hail Marys with an Our Father? And so you have Our Father and 10 Hail Marys. So the, uh, the rosary really developed in imitation of the monks praying the divine office. And the 150 connected with the, the rosary, really goes back to the fact that the monks prayed 150 uh, psalms each week. Well, I can safely say I did not know that, but thankfully, now I do. Thank you very much, Bishop Julian.
Thank you, Bishop Julian. And that's all for this episode of Question and Answer with Bishop Julian Porteous. See you next time. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit radio.org.